I hear that. And doesn't that put us in, in a really fucking kind of shitty spot because on the one, like everything you're saying makes a hundred percent absolute sense. And then on the flip side, if that all goes into effect and everybody withholds themselves from military service and we're just left with the lemmings in uniform, what happens then? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, uh, what, what happens then is that the readiness for combat goes down, um, but not domestically, only abroad, right? So I, I haven't seen any good cause to deploy troops somewhere in a long time, uh, uh, you know, but there's quite, there's quite a few of us, people like me, still around here. And if somebody shows up on our, on our shores, it's going to be an entirely different story. And we don't need to be in uniform to handle that, frankly. Um, that'll be what it is. But yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of been kind of been done intentionally over the last year or so, where the ranks of all the institutions that protect the country have been uh, gerrymandered, right? Yeah. With, with, with these weird rules. Uh, basically, they're, it's, they're testing whether you'll be compliant or not. Right. So it isn't about service to the country. It's about whether or not you'll obey orders and they're trying to weed out everybody who want blindly follow orders. So I guess what you end up with there is a police state. If you want to run that out to its logical conclusion. But again, I'm not too concerned about skinny little pussies that think they're tough guys who don't have the ability to think outside the box because I will will run them over like they're not even standing there, to be honest. great day to flex your freedom. I'm your host, Barb Allen. Uh, freedom means a lot of things to a lot of people. It, in the very literal sense, it is the host of freedoms that we in this country seem to have just completely forgotten are vulnerable and are not absolute and can be taken away from us at any moment in time. Uh, less for the men and women of the military who serve to defend us all and for American citizens who stand up and say, Hell no, um, we've had enough of this and we go through our American oriented processes to fix the problems in our systems and in our country, which are currently um, totally disaster today. So here today with us is Dan Holloway. You probably have heard of him. If you have not, I don't know where you've been, but Dan is a military veteran. He served with the 82nd Airborne for five years. He's gone on to start two banging podcasts and we're so happy he's here with us today. Dan, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's get to it first. Let's go through um, a little bit about your military service, because it is important to kind of remind people that there are still men and women out there every second of every day while we're sitting here doing what we're doing. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was, uh, well, I got out of high school and, and, you know, didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Like uh, I would assume most high school kids are like that. Um, <clears throat> I went to college a few times studied religion, studied, uh, information security and stuff like that. And then, you know, kind of got bored with all that stuff and decided, uh, to join the military. You know, it was an interesting period in my life because, um, I've always been pretty disciplined on my own. Never really, never really needed somebody to yell at me 
to to get me to do things because I you know I just do them. But um, I do think learning how to follow was very important for my ability to learn how to lead later. You know what I mean? Um, like just experiencing the being in the position to have to take orders from somebody was a very, it, that was new for me. Um, so I joined the 82nd airborne because, you know, my dad was an airborne infantryman and my grandfather was an airborne infantryman. And, and though I don't, uh, care for either one of those two men, uh, it did seem like, you know, something to do. So, uh, yeah, that was a good time. I enjoyed the 82nd. It was fun. I mean, I didn't really enjoy running five miles every goddamn day, but everything else was pretty fun. Yeah. Do you ever, it's interesting. I've never heard anybody say that before that you had to learn how to follow before you lead. And, you know, we interview a lot of leaders, right. Of all, but out of everyone, nobody's ever said that. So, um, that's super interesting take on it. Did you ever receive an order that you just didn't trust or thought was bullshit or was going to put you guys at risk and you didn't understand like, and you just have to send it anyway? Uh, no, 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 no. If I, if I, so, you know, that what, there's a lot of, uh, you, you can sit around and make lists about what it is to be a leader. Um, you know, but I ultimately for me, leader, leadership is about, um, it's about living up to the respect that you're given in the position you're in. Right. That's, that's really what it's about. And there's a lot of ways to accomplish that. Sometimes it's maintaining good order and discipline. Sometimes it's digging into your soldiers, personal lives to make sure everything's going okay. Right. Like if you see smoke, there's fire and it's your job to go put that fire out. Um, sometimes it's saying no, sometimes it's taking the hit. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's putting yourself in harm's way uh, to make sure that your, your people don't get put in harm's way. And I think that, extends well beyond the military. That's something that every conscious human being should do much less American. And it's particularly true of men, especially in families, right? Like that's the, the purpose of masculinity from a biological standpoint is to provide and protect. And if you're not doing both of those things, then, you know, what the fuck are you doing? Good, good question. Well, they're usually doing something the opposite of providing and protecting in that instance. Um, Sure. But that's a function of, yeah. uh, uh, of misguided purpose though. Right. Like, uh, masculinity, uh, rage and aggression. It, it has to be, uh, not tamed, but honed into an actual disciplined weapon. That's the point. And it's what we've done. That's why there's these training programs and rites of passage for young men all throughout human history, whether it's, you know, uh, getting sent out into the woods to fight, in, in Spartan culture or <clears throat> whether it's, you know, going to school or whether it's the Boy Scouts or whatever, we've always had these things until relatively recently when we started just, you know, it's all, as long as everybody has fun, we're satisfied and everybody gets a participation trophy, but that's not the point. The point isn't to find out who's the best and who's the worst when you're 10 years old. The point is to let everybody know that through their effort, they can achieve maximum output. That's the point, right? And it's, and it's through that repetition that young boys become young men. And when it doesn't happen, then nihilism seeps in. And nihilism manifests itself in quite a, quite a few ways. And <clears throat> the, um, the most obvious in today's culture are things like gang activity or drugs or mass shootings or suicide or whatever. These are all symptoms of the same disease. And the disease is that we've abandoned young men in this country. 
Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a, a core topic for me. I had four boys I had to raise on my own after my husband was killed. Uh, and so I see that now. And there was a time where I would get really triggered and take it personally when I heard people say things about, you know, men, boys needing men and all this. And because I was like, well, fuck you, my boys didn't have a man. I'm going to do this on my own, you know, but coming out the end of it. And I see my four boys are now grown up. Um, and the impact of not having the father in their lives or a solid male role model is sure there, there, I think there is only so much a mom can do to raise a man and the rest is going to, they're going to have to learn on the fly. You know, my kids were doing YouTube videos to learn how to put a tie on for the prom, you know, and I was rigging up cars with duct tape and bailing twine to get them to the mechanic because I didn't know what the hell I was doing, all that stuff. So I think it is an important topic. Uh, I'm glad you're out there kind of doing that. Do people, do you find that people get triggered when you talk like that and kind of blow up at you? Oh, I don't care. I know you don't care. I know. But, um, but is it like, I always say, I, like, I don't, I, I, don't th I don't think so. I think if you speak, um, yeah. frankly, so it, there is, uh, people will on occasion become upset by, by that. But, uh, I, I think most people can tell <clears throat> that, um, most people can tell it, it, that you have good intentions. If you persist, you know what I mean? If you're not just being a dick about it, I mean, it's like petting, a dog you've never met before. They're a little suspicious at first. So they're going to have a reaction. And and what am I going to do? Get butt hurt because they had a reaction to it. No, you just press on and let them know that you're trying to have an actual conversation. And I find that most people will, will participate. Cool. All right. In terms of leaders and leadership, um, I know, I mean, I, I see your content. I see what you say, which is part of why we wanted to get you on today. Cause we're absolutely aligned with you. Did you face any, um, have you received pushback from the social media platforms that you're out there talking about ineffective leadership in this country? Uh, not necessarily about leadership. I mean, you get more pushback talking about the absence of leadership, right? Because it's embarrassing for people in power to realize how incompetent they are, I suppose. I mean, it's, uh, the, the censorship on social media and then the media at large has been pretty interesting the last, like, I don't know, six years, something like that, six, seven years. Um, and I definitely noticed that and we're definitely impacted by that. Yes. Have you found routes around it? <clears throat> uh, yeah, in some ways, I mean, you got to carve out your own thing sometimes. And, um, I think a lot of people that get, they get canceled, get canceled because they give up. Right. Or they, they're not willing to face scrutiny. I don't give a shit about any of that. Like, right. I didn't, uh, I, I'm not terribly concerned with what these people get upset about because I see what makes them happy. You know what I mean? So they're not a good barometer for, for ethics. So I don't really give a fuck what they have to say, you know, but it is, it is an interesting exercise to try to, navigate around that in a way that allows me to still run my business. Sure. Yeah, it is. And that's what it's like. It's like, you have to find the balance. You have to go to the line and then come back, but without sacrificing your integrity, I think, you know, your core value and all the people that turn around who come out and say one thing. And then the very next day they're apologizing for it. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I didn't mean to offend you, you know? So, um, it's how to, how to still stay true to who you are and stand up for what you believe in without getting wiped off the face of social media and being banished forever. Right. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, people, people have been banned for a lot of weird shit, like saying yeah. that women are women, for example, that's a weird reason to get banned from something yeah. um, for being right about certain medical issues over the last two years. Uh, people have been banned quite a bit for that, you know, but it's not. Um, sunlight is the best disinfectant, right? So if somebody, the, the most important time to say something is when somebody else is telling you not to say it because they're trying to obfuscate some truth and it's because that truth has power and, you know, provided you're capable to, to continue, I think you should, no matter what the consequence. How long has it been since you left the military? Uh, boy, I don't even know what year this is. 12 years, I guess, almost okay. 12 years now. How um, are you still in touch with a lot of active duty military? Are you? I've got a lot of buddies who um, are nearing retirement now. Okay. Would you? And I'm I'm asking because I'm curious to know um, in your eyes how has the military changed in the time you were in it um, versus now, and what would your advice be to someone who's coming out of high school and like, hey, maybe I'll join the military. Uh, I'll answer those in reverse order. First, uh, don't join the military. That's my advice. Um, it, it is very important for anybody that has the confluence of talent, skill, and um, desire to do something to ensure that they're doing that particular thing that they're best at for the greatest possible purpose. And I don't think that bombing Yemeni and Syrian people and funneling money and guns into Ukraine is a good use of our time and talent, frankly, nor was Afghanistan or Iraq to be, to be frank about that. Um, <clears throat> as far as how things have changed, well, let me not cut it off right there. Um, there are a lot of ways you can get involved and help your community and serve your community without subjugating yourself to the whims of elderly people with egos right? With God complexes who rob you on a regular basis. Um, you, you can, you know, you can do quite a few things. You can become a uh, deputy sheriff, for example, which I would recommend over city police because now you're reporting to one elected official, the sheriff and not some city council and mayor who, who knows what the hell they're up to. Um, <clears throat> you can be an EMT, you can teach. There's all sorts of ways to serve your community. Um, <clears throat> as far as how things have changed, you know, I try not to be too cynical about it because there, the, we live in a cause and effect universe, right? That's how things work. So <clears throat> when we had a, well, when we had two wars to fight, it was very simple just to ignore a lot of this stuff and press forward. Everybody was distracted with the job. Um, so we weren't spending all of our time doing social experiments. Now that's not really the case, is it? I mean, it's, I, I can't speak to it because I'm not there right now, but from what I hear from people, uh, the command climate, both in the regular army and particularly in special forces is completely fucked right now. And I know a lot of people who are taking early exits, people who are not re-enlisting, um, who have spent, who are in their, in their middle window, which means over 10 years, less than 15, who are just, I'm not going to stick it out to retirement. Fuck this. I can't do it anymore. 
it's a huge loss for our country. You know, it is, well, it is. That's I, what I'll, oh, go ahead. I'll, I'll say this, as I, as I mentioned before, these men and women of high moral character and integrity and physical capability who are ready to do violence for the country. They have, I believe they have a responsibility to serve the country, but I also believe they have a responsibility to withhold their talents for a noble cause and not just fight whatever war these assholes tell them to. Right. I hear that. And doesn't that put us in, in a really fucking kind of shitty spot because on the one, like, Everything you're saying makes a hundred percent absolute sense. And then on the flip side, if that all goes into effect and everybody withholds themselves from military service and we're just left with the lemmings in uniform, what happens then? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, uh, what, what happens then is that the readiness for combat goes down, um, but not domestically, only abroad. Right. So I haven't seen any good cause to deploy troops somewhere in a long time, uh, uh, you know, but there's quite, there's quite a few of us people like me still around here. And if somebody shows up on our, on our shores, it's going to be an entirely different story and we don't need to be in uniform to handle that. Frankly, um, that'll be what it is. But yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of been, kind of been done intentionally over the last year or so where the ranks of all the institutions that protect the country have been uh, gerrymandered, right? With with these weird rules. Uh, Basically they're, it's, they're testing whether you'll be compliant or not. Right. So it isn't about service to the country. It's about whether or not you'll obey orders and they're trying to weed out everybody who want blindly follow orders. So I guess, what you end up with there is a police state, if you want to run that out to its logical conclusion. But right. again, I'm not too concerned about skinny little pussies that think they're tough guys who don't have the ability to think outside the box because we'll, we'll run them over like they're not even standing there, to be honest. I remember uh, when my husband served and I was not... I didn't really know shit about military, military life, and he was National Guard, so we weren't in the community, right? But then... He was killed by another soldier, by the staff sergeant in the unit. And I remember being so shocked, you know, on top of the fact that your husband is killed. Now you find out it was one of your own that kills him. And I remember talking to the major that my husband reported to who came to our house. And I said to him, I was like, I don't even understand how this could happen. I thought that everybody who served was a good person. And the dude sat, this was like a day or two after my husband was killed. He sat there and actually threw his head back and laughed. Like, like I was a little kid who had just asked for tooth fairy money or something, or was just horrified that to find out that the tooth fairy didn't exist, you know, and he thought it was hilarious. And that was literally how my eyes were open to the fact that the military is just full of human beings who are, who are like flawed. Like I'd been operating in this perception that everybody was held to a higher standard. Like you, like every single person who served did so with honor. And I just assumed, I assumed that was the case. Uh, and then, well, I mean, pe- people have different ideas about what it means to be honorable. I mean, for, for people that haven't worked it out in their own minds, a lot of people think that is simply to follow orders, right? Which, right. Uh, you know, we've had a couple of dust-ups over the last hundred years about that, the Nuremberg trials to be specific, right? Right. Following orders isn't always the right thing to do. And No, um, I don't mean that. that. That defines honor. I mean, like, 
you know, the gangs that are in the military um, and, you know, black market deals selling our equipment on the black market, which is what you know, the guy in, in that unit was doing. So well, or just good moral movie. character, like not killing your own men beside you. Like, yeah. you know, it just didn't occur to me that people like that would be in the military. Yeah. It's going to be, um, it's going to be that, that stuff's going to come back now that, that we're kind of calming down and not fighting ground wars. Um, it, it'll, <sighs> there's a movie called Buffalo soldiers that does a pretty good job of encapsulating what was going on in the United States military in the 1980s. It's you, you, it's the same, the same problem with, um, with male youth in in the country right now, you you get these people who are predisposed to aggression and violence. uh, And, you know, they, they sign up for the military, some uh, most people sign up because they want to serve their country. Some people sign up because they want to do some fucked up shit, right? It's just the way it is. Um, and you leave them to their own devices, right? Idle hands are the devil's plaything. So they get up to no guts. That that'll be another piece. Uh, aside from just the a sycophant military, it's just certainly going to be. Um, there's certainly going to be a, quite a bit of criminal element going on there because these people need a challenge. They they like the thrill of things. That's why they joined the military in the first place. Right. I'm not, I'm not saying that to justify the behavior. I'm just saying you should expect that to happen. Right. Right. And I'm just, and that's where like, I was just operating in this naive zone where I didn't expect it to happen. Um, So now, you know, I've had that education. How do you think we restore purpose and, and worthwhile meaning to military service? You know, how do you think we restore faith where a person can, join the military knowing that those in command are wise and have everybody's best interests at heart instead of all the bullshit that they're being sent out to do now. I don't know that it's possible at this point. Right. I mean, you answer that question. I don't know how it's, I think you have have four sons, right? What would the conditions in America have to be for you to be, for you to feel good about them joining the U S military right now. Um, (laughs) a lot would have to be different, right? A lot would have to be. So I don't, I just have a, I have a healthy distrust of people who are playing with other people's lives. And I don't think even, you know, when I met the, I met Bush at the white house, you know, after my husband was killed and he kind of, let's just say I was escorted out by the secret service because he didn't like, Uh, my comment to him. Right. So I just, I didn't, um, you know, you have to have faith. You're going to put your life on the line for people. You need to know that it's not going to be indiscriminately tossed away, you know? So I don't know. I think, I think we need to do a complete reset. You know, you'd have to just like a reboot. Everything has to be emptied out and, and redone, but I don't really see that happening. Uh, no, it seems like a bit of a stretch, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, like, I don't, there aren't anybody, uh, there isn't anybody working at the top levels of the U.S. government that I feel like is wor- worth the sacrifice of young American lives uh, because they make bad decisions. They, they, it's just the general patrician attitude. We've seen it in every rise and fall of culture in the history of human beings. It's, yeah. uh, th- there develops some political aristocracy and they feel like 
your money and your time and your property and your life belongs to them to use as they see fit. And those things come to a head at some point where a majority of people get sick of that bullshit and then some leadership develops and that country has a revolution. It happened. It's happened time and time again. And yeah. It's going to happen here as well. This in, in modern society, um, revolutions look a lot different, right? Than they used to. It used to be military coups or, uh, you know, uh, the aristocracy getting wiped out or something like that, but it wouldn't be like that this time. It's just, we, we don't have, <clears throat> it creates too much instability. I'm not sure exactly what it would look like. My, my guess is it will be, um, you know, the, the United States kind of dissolves and s goes back to States or, or, or a Confederate or what do you call it? Um, a convention of States, uh, uh, and it solution of the union or something like that and you know people regroup i guess based on how they feel about life it's for me it's it's all really simple uh we get to like human beings are tribal creatures right we have in groups and out groups and we trust and depend on and care for and protect in groups and we are highly distrustful of out groups and willing to attack them if necessary. And we've, you know, allowed ourselves to be captured by this, even in, in modernity. And <clears throat> it's almost like a fucking marketing device that governments and media use to, to control people. You know what I mean? They tell you that this group is going to do this thing. So you should feel this way about it. Like, right. all right, cool, man. Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't be learning. If you're, if you're a conservative, you shouldn't be learning everything that you know about liberals from fucking Fox news. And if you're right. a liberal, you shouldn't be learning everything you know about conservatives from MSNBC or CNN. It's just that simple, but we've allowed that to happen. Now being conscious and aware of that, as I said before, sunlight's the best disinfectant. You can choose who your fucking tribe is, right? It happens in the military all the time. We all get together even if we don't like each other or we come from very different backgrounds and we work together and, and it, you know, there's dust ups from time to time, but more or less, unless somebody is just a genuinely bad actor, we can work it out. And I think you can do that in your personal life too. You can, um, <clears throat> you, you have the ability to choose who your tribe is. And for me, it's people who value individual Liberty, that, that, that above all else. Yeah. Have you seen a shift in your own inner circle or personal and professional relationships here in the past three, four years? Have you had people who don't want to work with you or people who do want to work with you based on their political views or their emotional reaction to everything happening? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, it's an interesting bifurcation because we have people like no, no one's going to tell me they don't want to work with me because of what I believe, because they know how I'll react to that. Right. So they just kind of tiptoe around it, but it's very obvious what they're saying. And that's fine. Like you, you have that choice. Uh, and I'm not going to disabuse anybody of that choice. And then, you know, the, there are a lot of people who will see you not buckling to the bullshit going on and they want to be around people like that. Right. right. Because there's strength in numbers. So, yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's a quite a bit of that. And I think that's natural. It's like, if you put a um, hundred people in a room and just let them sit there for like an hour 
they're, they're going to naturally gravitate towards certain groups for whatever reason, whether right. it's people who are like, Oh, we're moms. Let's go talk about mom shit. Or we're fucking, right. uh, we all work in finance. Let's talk about finance shit or whatever it is. Right. Like there's all kinds of different things going on there. It's not, sometimes it's, um, uh, ideological reasons. Sometimes it's just like something that you enjoy. Sometimes it's your race or ethnicity or religion or whatever the hell, but it always happens that way. So it's not really surprising to see it happening now. And it's not something I think you should necessarily interfere with because that's how nature works, right? Like you're the, the reason that societies exist is for people who think the same about a couple of core principles right. come together and then build, you know, a fence around them. So nobody else can get in and fuck up their community. Yeah. Do you think that say, do you think it's possible in 10, 20 or however many years that you'll see a, this union dissolve? Do you think that'll literally happen? Um, you know, it, that's a, that's an interesting question because I wouldn't have thought that in 2022, the U S government would try to stand up a thought police just out in the open. Right. I never right. thought that would happen, but they definitely did it. Um, and then <clears throat> I wouldn't have thought that within a three month period, you could change the name of the green new deal to the inflation reduction act, which doesn't address inflation at all. And people are just like, yo, yeah, let's do this. Like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Right. Um, so, you know, I would have said, uh, I would have said, uh, no to that probably a year ago, but now I don't know. I mean, I think it would be for the best, to be honest. I mean, I don't know why people get so romantic about the 50 United States. I mean, most like two, two of the states just became part of the union in, in our parents' lifetime. So it's not like, it's, it's not like it's just always been like this. We've been gradually expanding and contracting forever. That's how societies work. Right. Um, so it would be really interesting to me to, to see something like that, that happen because <clears throat> I think we work better when we work around people that we want to be around. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's also a good idea to, allow people to make their own mistakes sometimes, but it's not a great idea to have all of society absorb their mistakes. So for example, if some of these people want to, you know, continue with the anti-police bail reform stuff, let them live in the violent cities that come as a result of that right. and then see what they, what they want to do afterwards. Right. But they shouldn't be allowed to subject everybody else to that. The problem is that, <clears throat> The people in government primarily, especially the bureaucrats, we talk about the politicians a lot, but the unelected bureaucrats are a much bigger problem because they're deeply seated. They're not elected. They do whatever they want and they work in government for 40 years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. It runs it deep. Up to the politicians. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's very deep. Yeah. It is deep. And it's an interesting yeah. thought. I, I agree. I wouldn't have said any of that was even possible. Like our union dissolving a, a year ago, I wouldn't have said that, but now I feel like it's, it's on the table, <laughs> no, as, and that well, I mean, is think just about a what the crazy thing they, to think. Like, 
being- the union is is meant to bring together a group of people around the U.S. Constitution, which is primarily geared towards promoting individual liberty. That's the whole point. Right. To not have an aristocracy, to uh, defend from existential threats, things like that. <clears throat> and, you know, the the short answer here is that if you're not on board with that, then you shouldn't you shouldn't be here. Like you, it's, it's very inappropriate in my opinion to try to change this very basic principle of the United States for everyone, because you don't agree with it. Start your own fucking country, right? United States of fucking California or whatever the fuck it is. Like go do that. That's more appropriate than trying to, you know, exact your will on 330 million people who don't want it. Right. Well, probably half of them do. Right. Oh yeah, the three hundred gotcha. So it it is just a, it's just wild to think that so much is changing. I think we're living in interesting time in history. I think is an an, an understatement. Um, I'm gonna switch gears here for a second because I want to touch on. I've heard you in some interviews or in, you know some of the content you put out. You know, you you reference or you talk about how you've handled or dealt with grief. And I, I appreciate it in particular when men will do that, because there's a lot of women out there speaking about that. Uh, but I don't find too many men who will go out there and speak about that. So I, I want to ask you, there were some things about grief that I didn't that I had thought I knew I knew until it really hit me hard. Um, one was that it's actually a physical fucking pain. Like, like I was just in physical pain from the amount of grief that was, and I I didn't anticipate that. Uh, So was there something uh, in any of the moments that you've experienced grief? Was there something about it that took you by surprise that you would kind of offer some insight for somebody as they're dealing with this right now? Um, something that took me by surprise. Um, you know, I guess you don't necessarily notice how rapidly your mood changes. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that's probably something that we should all make ourselves very aware of because, you know, 90 some percent of communication is, is nonverbal, right? So body language, just your posture sometimes, um, the, the inflection in your voice can tell people quite a bit uh your uh the, the cadence of your speech not necessarily what you're saying but the cadence of your speech there's a lot of things there that that you can pay attention to and the reason i say that is because we have buddies kill themselves all the time and they was like oh i didn't see that coming like well you probably did actually you just didn't know what to look for so i think uh you know when i was going through <clears throat> all this stuff we're taught to ignore that and press on because there's fucking work to do. And then when there's no longer work to do, the presumption is, okay, now I've got time to deal with this shit. But, you know, back to the beginning of the conversation with uh, masculinity, I don't know that it's, I, I don't know that it's shame or, discomfort even that keeps men from talking about stuff. I think it's um, certainly that's part of it. And maybe it's a lot of it for a lot of people, but I think something that the folks don't consider is now I'm without purpose, right? 
Like I'm not, it, it is uncomfortable for me, for my purpose to be focused on myself. I'm not comfortable with that because I've intentionally lived a life of service. And I'm not talking about me specifically, although I am as well. I'm talking about dudes in the military and, and policing and EMT especially. So uh, firefighters as well. <clears throat> like my life has been about putting my own needs aside and helping other people. And now I'm, I'm the one that needs help. And I'm both in a position that I'm not familiar with, like needing help. And I'm also in a position where I'm not executing on my primary genetic purpose, which is to provide and protect for other people. You know what I mean? So it is a, the duality of that is crippling to a lot of men. And I don't think it is, I don't think it's the fear or shame that keeps them from speaking to people about this. I think it's confusion and they don't know what to do or even if they should do something because it's not part of their skill set. You know what I mean? Like if you, you can, you can train these people to do anything, jump out of planes, fucking fast rope, go into rooms, blow shit up, uh, whatever. Right. <clears throat> but we don't train anybody to take care of themselves in the military. And I don't just mean like physically, obviously we do that, but mentally we don't train people to take care of themselves. Um, like no, literally I'm not, I'm not, this isn't hyperbole. Literally zero effort is made towards this at any point during your military career. And it's a symptom of Western culture in general, where we try to solve problems downstream, right? We let things become as bad as they can get. And then we're like, all right, we got to fix this now. Well, that's fucking stupid, right? Like if you were able to prepare somebody with coping mechanisms for stuff like this along the path, now they're prepared. And not only are you going to get a better and more stable soldier, but you're going to get them for longer. You know what I mean? So one of the things that I, I guess the thing that surprised me the most is how little anyone was prepared for any of this shit, despite having just gone through Vietnam, right? We had just gone through that shit. We had just gone through desert storm where people were uh, <coughs> having horrible reactions from depleted uranium and things like that. Like we've been through all of this very recently and literally no effort was made to address that problem. Um, so again, would I recommend somebody join the military? Probably not. Yeah. Did you think that you would say that when you were in the military? Has that changed? Has that been the case since you were in the military or is that just over the past few years? Um, no, it's not just the past few years. I, I would say were... probably my last two and a half years in the military, I realized how fucking stupid it was. Okay. So it didn't take me as soon as I started having psychological stress. Yeah. And you know, I'm a very, uh, introspective person. I, I, something happens to me and I dissect it and try to find out why it's happening. Not necessarily always just to solve the problem. Sometimes just out of curiosity, you know, and yeah. I'm looking at this litany of issues and then searching for answers to it. And I realize that there are no institutional answers for any of this. I'm like, what the fuck? Why? How is this possible? Like if you treated, if I, as a sergeant treated my weapon, the way that the U S government treats me as a weapon, then I would get kicked out of the fucking army. Right? Like I would be, I would, I would get busted down. I would lose everything, but they treat like you would never treat your weapon the way that the U S government treats the soldier's mind. 
that's the thing I guess that surprised me the most. Not not necessarily because I thought they had good intentions. I, I've never persisted under that delusion. The government is fucked, but just because it makes sense, you know, like if you want capable people, you have to make them capable. That's the purpose right. of all the training we do. Yeah, so I, I that, could not. That, that was definitely the most. It, not only was it surprising, it was fucking stupid. And I became immediately, as soon as I realized that, I became immediately disillusioned. Yeah. And that sucks when you're in there and you're doing all this and you're like, you know, why? You know, a lot of the military widows, well, that's what we need to know. Like, we need to make sure that we look for a purpose, right? Like we look for, was their sacrifice worth it? Was my kids not having a dad? Did it matter? Is me not having a husband? Does it matter? Did it make a difference? And when you come back and you find out, not really, it's, it's place to be. So it's, it's a, it's a dicey area. It's a touchy subject, you know, to do. And I worked as a BSO for a bunch of years. And one of the guys I remember the most was a world war two, world war two veteran in my office for the first time filing for PTSD with his adult daughter next to him. And he breaks down crying, telling me about his experience in world war two. She breaks down crying next to me, says all of a sudden her entire childhood makes sense. He had never spoken about any of this. World War II, carrying this for all those years, you know, and I think that really just rammed home to me um, the, the complete gap that we've allowed our veterans. And like you said, all those who serve the communities in so many ways to fall through. And I think it's just tacking on the list of things that we need to do better or figure out or figure out a way around. But I, I don't know. There's, there's, there's a lot that needs fixing out there. Well, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the institutional power relies on the fact that the men aren't going to leave each other and they, they use and abuse that fact. Like we don't do it for no, nobody's thinking about politics in a fucking gunfight. We're just thinking about our buddies around us and making sure everybody gets home safe. That's all it really is. And that, that idea that persists with us even today, like decade longer beyond service is something that is been used and abused by not just our government but all governments throughout all of human history you know what i mean so <clears throat> i think it's uh, entirely appropriate for people capable of doing war to resist the government's urge to do war until the government makes a good case for it i think that should be part of the process i don't think it should be just congress and the president who decides to deploy people unless they're fucking suiting up and coming with us you would like to think so, right? Again, I don't know what the, what you're saying makes absolute sense, I think, to any logical person, but unfortunately, that's not who we have running things. So I don't know what the answer is, but I appreciate the opportunity to kind of pull out all the questions here and, and start people thinking along those paths too, because I think until we ask the questions or we talk about them, we'll never stumble upon some sort of path forward or around this or over this or through it or whatever it is going to take for us to get to a better place than we're at now. Dan Holloway, I really cannot tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with us today. Um, it's given me a chance to think about things in a different perspective and to kind of level up the the topic of conversation here to more meaty stuff, which I don't always, always get to go into like the hardcore nitty gritty of the military and the things that you shared with us today. So I appreciate that. Um, we'll put up all the links just for anybody who may not possibly know, tell us where to find you. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> on social media, you can find me at, at Dan Holloway. Um, and you can find 
all, we have a litany of shows. We have uh, Drinking Bros, obviously. We've got a sports show. Uh, Citizen is my personal show. And we've got a bunch of other stuff on our network. Rob O'Neill is uh, on our network. Mike Ritland. Um, we've got a bunch of cool stuff. We've got a history channel. Where guys do a lot of funny history stuff. We, we, there's a lot going on over here. Yeah. Awesome. You do have a ton of stuff and I can go down that rabbit hole when I'm researching and clicking the links. And I spent a bunch of hours doing that and it was super cool. And and now I'm just going to keep doing it. Rob's a fun guy too. We've had the opportunity to meet him, hang out with him a little bit. He offered to write the forward for my last book, which was super cool to him. So give him a heads up and tell him a hello for me when you see him. But again, thank you so much for, for being here with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 